Welcome to the book reading program of 3ABN Australia Radio. Does your faith need a boost? Do you think that miracles only happened in Bible times? Think again. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Harold Harker. This story is entitled, Going Back to Prison. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Most people behind bars are seemingly or thought to have been forgotten by society. But certainly, we know that not a one of them have been forgotten by God. Our world seems to be filled with despair, moving forward into turbulent times, but we need never despair, because if God is for us, who can be against us? It is an absolute miracle how God can use someone who was brought up in a life of turmoil as a young child to bring hope to those who are behind bars. Raised in the Chicago area as a youth, I was taught to pray and have worship. I was brought up believing in the God who created heaven and the earth. I went to a Christian school and in first grade, everything appeared to be going rather well. But sometimes, appearances can be deceiving. By that time, I had already been robbed in Central Park. I had already begun stealing soda pops and Twinkies from a home where my mother worked as a housekeeper. My family was involved in different forms of evangelism. And I remember very distinctly as a young child probably in the first grade, visiting the Joliet Penitentiary in Joliet, Illinois. My family would go there to play special music and we would sing the song, I will make you fishers of men. I remember some things about that prison as we walked into the large auditorium. There was a bad smell as men began to file in, filling the seats starting at the front row. They all wore the same clothing, white and black striped uniforms. As we left the prison that day, I remember looking back and seeing many of the men with their arms out the bars waving goodbye. As we walked to the parking lot, little did I realise that I too would be in prison or at least on my way by the time I was 18 years old. In second grade in the Christian school, I was selling cigarettes for a nickel each. That year, I was tied in my seat with a jump rope and was expelled from school at least once. My grades were not good and my parents were always being called in to talk to the teacher because of my bad behaviour. Rarely did I get out to go and play with the other kids for recess because I was always writing sentences like, 
I will not talk in class without permission. In third grade, I was kicked out of the Christian school, sent off to the public school and suspended from that school all in the same year. That was the beginning of a young boy's life who wanted to do right and who wanted to fit in. Not even all of my conversations with the psychiatrist brought me hope, nor did the medication bring me peace or stability. By the age of 13 years old, I told my mother I wanted no more hugs or kisses. I told her I was a teenager and that I was on my way. Certainly, I was on my way to a place no one ever wants to be. It was actually on my 13th birthday when my mother had made me a cake and had a lovely meal for the family and it brought tears to her eyes that I wanted nothing more to do with church or home life. I was suspended from school in the fourth grade, as well as the fifth or sixth and junior high school. My family sent me off to a self-supporting academy in Wisconsin for my freshman year in high school. I was suspended from that school as well. I had begun drinking alcohol at a young age, thinking that it would quiet the rage and problems of life. Then I realised how you could take a small amount of money, invest it in drugs, sell them to other people, buy more drugs and sell them to even more people, and the cycle continued to go on and on. Eventually, I met people who were dealing in bottles of morphine and Demerol and all kinds of narcotics. I realised at that point in my life that the guns would eventually lead to someone being killed, so I wanted out of that lifestyle. Thus, I moved to Indiana, thinking the location would change everything. But I brought myself with me, not realising that I was the one who needed to change. By the age of 18 years old, I was sitting in a small rural town in central Indiana, facing 10 to 20 years in prison, with my bond set at $110,000. During my time in the county jail, I had a trustee position, which gave me access to the administrative areas of the jail. They had an evidence room where they kept all of the drugs that were seized from individuals as well as guns, alcohol and other items that had been confiscated from crime scenes. There would be staged events in the jail, diverting the jail staff from their normal activities. At those times, I would gain access to the evidence room and gather as much of the drugs and alcohol as I could transport back into the jail undetected. It is truly a miracle that we are still alive today. They brought the state police in to see what was wrong with the jail inmates, thinking we were so out of touch with reality. At that point, I was transported to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. 
Then we set the jail on fire. It was only through God's providence that the sheriff and his wife didn't go out that afternoon for dinner after church as they normally did. If they had, we all would have died that night. They transported all of the inmates to different jails in other communities during the restoration and the rebuilding of the Wells County Jail. I remember one specific afternoon when the sheriff, out of the kindness of his heart, even after all of the terrible things we had done, allowed a group of young people to come into the jail to sing some songs about God's love for us. Never have I forgotten that afternoon. They did not come in to preach to us or to condemn us. They did not bring us a Bible, candy or snacks, but they came nevertheless. They didn't tell us that they had been in prison. They just came to share God's love through song. They probably were not there more than 30 minutes, but the beauty and value of volunteers coming into a dark, cold, lonely place known as incarceration has forever affected my life. It brought tears to my eyes and touched my heart. Finally, after I was sentenced to prison, they told me to pack my stuff. I had been planning for this day because I was afraid of going to prison. I didn't know what prison would be like except through the stories told from other inmates. I'd been saving all of the narcotics that I could get for the day when I was heading off to prison. That morning, when they told me to pack my stuff, I swallowed all the pills I had saved up until that point. The last thing I remember as the sheriff was taking me to the reception diagnostic centre in Plainfield, Indiana, was him talking to his partner. The only way I am still alive today is because the officer at the prison was making his rounds every 20 minutes to check on a certain group of people, of which I was a part. They found me unconscious, lying on my back, vomiting. I could have died. The doctor asked me why I tried to commit suicide. I didn't. Don't you understand? I was on my way to prison and I was scared. God's mercy kept me. My mother's prayers certainly never went unanswered, even though at the time it perhaps seemed so. During my time in a maximum security prison, I tried to get my GED and failed. All my life seemed to be one failure after another, while I kept hoping for a brighter day somewhere in my life. It just never seemed to come. I remember going to church services in the prison, not to listen to what the preacher had to say, but to sell drugs to others who would meet in the chapel from other parts of the prison. On that day, we had more movement within the prison than others. However, 
even though I was attending chapel services for the wrong reason, I remember one specific day bowing my head while sitting in the third row from the back, third seat from the aisle. I bowed my head with tears in my eyes and prayed. I said, Dear Jesus, if ever you can use me, I want to be used by you. I only had one year remaining in prison when I finally decided to quit getting high before I was released back into society. I did not want to come back to prison. I didn't want to continue to live in the wrong ways of life. But I didn't know how to change. I did not really know how to ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Saviour. I did not really know what true repentance was or understand God's grace, saving us from our own sinful nature. I decided not to get high any longer during my last year of incarceration. And when we make the slightest decision for right, it seems like the devil actually brings more temptations into our path. So, when you make a conscious decision to do right, don't be discouraged when more temptations are brought upon you. The devil does not want to let us go. I decided I wasn't going to get high any longer, and the best dope that had ever been in the prison began showing up all over the place. Well, I left prison after being clean one year, but it wasn't through God's strength. I just simply decided I wasn't getting high any longer because I was going home and really wanted something different. That is where I want people to know that desire for change is not enough. Change itself is not enough because we can sometimes change the external circumstances of our lives, but if the inward life never begins to change, the outward is only a masquerade. It wasn't long before I began meeting correctional officers at a restaurant near the prison. I would provide them with drugs to take into my friends, who would sell them and get the money to me. I was out here working and trying to do what was right, but I needed money for things that I really did not need. So therefore, I resorted to the old behaviour, for I had no strength to say no to the things that would so easily beset me. Free from prison for approximately 12 years by society standards, yet I was more locked up out here in society than I had been when I was behind a 30-foot wall in a maximum security prison. How can that be so? Because without the power of Christ, there is no freedom in this world in which we live. There is no power to transform the inner life, and there is not any power for the forgiveness of sin. There is no joy, there is no peace without 
a relationship with Jesus Christ. 35 years old, 35 years seemingly filled with nothing but failure. I knew I was going back to prison or they were going to put me in a mental institution or I was going to die. I wanted to change so desperately. Finally, I went to a place called Park Centre. I parked my car and walked in for the first time to ask someone, anyone, for help with the unmanageability of my life. The fancy woman behind the glass slid the window back and said, May I help you? Yes, I'm really, really sick and I need to talk to somebody. She told me they charge $75 an hour. I told her I didn't have $75. They take Visa and MasterCard if that will help you. Ma'am, I'm thousands of dollars in debt. I walked out with no hope. I really felt there was no hope for me. Drug addicted, sick and ready to die. I heard of a place called Charter Beacon Hospital. And so I called my wife and asked her if she would take me there. I threw my drugs into the trees near the hospital as I went in. I met Jerry about 10.30 at night. He told me it would be all right. He also said that he was a recovering drug addict who had been clean for six years. He too had been to prison, actually in the same prison. Ironically, he was housed in the same cell house where I too spent most of my time. I'm thankful that I asked Jesus for help with the unmanageability of my life before I asked Jerry to be my sponsor because Jerry went back and started shooting dope. He'd been clean for six years, but he didn't have Jesus. Jerry had been clean for six years, but he was living a sexually immoral lifestyle with women who were coming through the treatment centre, filled with pain and loneliness from drug addiction. At approximately 2.30 in the morning, I had made it back to the nurse's station after the different intake process. The first patient I met standing by the nurse's station asked me if I had any rocks on me, which is crack cocaine. Dude, get away from me. I came here for help. Little did I know that most of these treatment facilities are filled with people simply trying to get their jobs back or their wives or husbands. I was in the hospital for approximately 48 to 72 hours. All that I could see that they had to offer was medication and more programs. I'd been down that road from a child and I knew that would not help me. I wasn't there for another narcotic, a quick fix or a high or an adhesive bandage. They could not help the wounds that I'd incurred in this great controversy between good and evil. I wanted help to change the whole process of my life. They went so far as to tell me 
when I feel like using drugs, I should go home and put on some headphones and listen to some easy listening music and that would calm me. Please give me a break. When temptation comes to mind, my hand is already in the cookie jar, so to speak, and there's no power to overcome sin or the temptation that comes to the human race unless we call out to Jesus Christ. I was in my hospital room with my bed pushed up against the door because I was in the valley of decision. Do I want to try or not try? Certainly, I want to try. But I had tried for 35 years and seemingly had failed every step of the way. There was a knock on my door and it was a pastor who wanted to pray with me. I don't remember the prayer, but I remember him telling me something that he had never told anyone before. He was raised in a good home and had never been in prison. He went to theology school to become a pastor, but something happened when his mother died. He became addicted to cough syrup. I have no idea how that compared with my addictions and my life being filled with sin. But he told me that during that struggle he prayed and God helped him overcome his cough syrup addiction. As he left the room, I pushed my bed back up against the door once again in the valley of decision. Do I want to try or not? I decided I wanted to try. As I walked over to the picture window facing the western sky that Friday evening, I saw the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen in my whole life. At that moment, I remembered that somewhere in my third grade education, someone had told me that no two snowflakes were ever created the same. I don't know if that is true or not, but as I was contemplating the beauty of that sunset, that is when I said, if God can paint that beautiful sunset, which is gone in a moment of time, he certainly can somehow help me. I walked over to the middle of my room, kneeled down praying, Dear Jesus, please help me. I want to quit, but I can't. There was a knock on my door shortly after that prayer and a nurse came in who wanted me to sign some paperwork. She told me that I was being released from the hospital. It was approximately 8pm by this time. So I asked her what time the doctors had released me because I didn't think that they released people that late in the evening from a hospital ward. I was released about 3.30 that afternoon, but since she'd come on duty, she had seven other dismissals and was just now able to get to me. God's timing is miraculous. If I had been released from the hospital any earlier that day, I would probably be in prison, a mental institution, or dead today. 
I finally arrived home about 4am with just enough time to eat and get ready for church. My wife and I began attending church that day. I resigned from my factory job where I was making good money. I prayed and asked the Lord for a different job. He blessed me with a job selling groceries, such as apples, oranges, potatoes, snacks, bread and chips, door-to-door to the Amish people. What a wonderful opportunity. The Lord took the talents that I once used for doing wrong and was now using them to fulfil a special plan for my life. Now that I surrendered to Him, His plan was to use me to bring hope to others who are incarcerated because of a life filled with sin. Shortly after that, the pastor's wife suggested making gift packages for the inmates in the local county jail. I told her what a wonderful idea it was because I will never forget the volunteers who came to sing a few songs while I was sitting in jail. They made such a difference in my life. We donated product from our grocery business for the beginning of a program called Christmas Behind Bars that holiday season. On the way home that evening, I remember taking my wife's hand and saying, you couldn't give me a brand new Corvette in exchange for the blessing that I received tonight. The next year, we did three jails and then five. Soon we were doing 10 to 15, then 20 jails. Every year, it continues to grow, being sponsored by the grocery business the Lord has blessed us with. Christmas Behind Bars is an outreach ministry that visits those who are incarcerated throughout the year, letting them know that they have not been forgotten and that there is hope for the transformation they so desperately desire. That desire is not enough for the internal change that we all need. That only comes through a realisation that our best efforts don't attain the results that our hearts desire. We asked them if they would be willing to try one more time. I brought Christ 35 years of failure and he heard my pleas. I was encouraged to try one more time through the prayer and testimony of a pastor and through God's providence of the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen in my life. Through prayer, I asked Jesus for help with the unmanageability of my life, and we promised those who are behind bars that he will do more abundantly than they can ever even think or ask, but they must be willing to try one more time asking Jesus for help with the turmoil in their lives. A reflection associated with this story comes from Christ Object Lessons, page 56. Throughout the parable of the sower, 
Christ represents the different results of the sowing as depending upon the soil. In every case, the sower and the seed are the same. Thus he teaches that if the Word of God fails of accomplishing its work in our hearts and lives, the reason is to be found in ourselves. But the result is not beyond our control. True, we cannot change ourselves, but the power of choice is ours, and it rests with us to determine what we will become. The wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground hearers need not remain such. The Spirit of God is ever seeking to break the spell of infatuation that holds men absorbed in worldly things and to awaken a desire for the imperishable treasure. It is by resisting the Spirit that men become inattentive or neglectful of God's Word. They are themselves responsible for the hardness of heart that prevents the good seed from taking root and for the evil growths that check its development. This story, Going Back to Prison, was written by Lemuel Vega, founder of the Christmas Behind Bars Project. They are located in Bluffton, Indiana. You can visit their website christmasbehindbars.org for more information. You've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com. Thank you.